This is the Rejoicing in the Word podcast coming to you from the capital region of the Susquehanna Valley. My name is Josh Hamilton. I'm here today with Pastor Brandon Starnes. We want to welcome you back to episode 38. We're on season number three, and that means we're talking about the mind and want to just keep you informed here. You can find us on Facebook at svbcpa.org forward slash rwmin. You message us there, share us with your friends, like us for the quickest updates that are put out. Also, there's verses and quotes that are on there. Make sure you check out the SV, uh, the Rejoicing in the Word blog. You'll find that at svbcpa.org forward slash rwblog. And then also for the direct link for our podcast, svbcpa.org forward slash rwpod. And remember, we're on a vi- most all of the available major podcast platforms. So whenever you share us with your friends, remind them that they can get the link there for whatever podcast platform they prefer to use. So, But going into episode 38, we're going to be speaking about the single greatest aid to a victorious mind. And I don't know about you, but I sure want to have a victorious mind. And I think there's a lot of people out there that would like the same if they were honest about it. Yeah, and really, part of that victorious mind starts with your knowledge of the God of salvation. You know, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, but thanks be, uh, thanks be to Christ, give us the victory. Through our that, Lord Jesus Yes, Christ. and that's in thanks be to God that give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's an important concept to consider that it's through him we have victory. You know, the passage we've referred to several times is in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, he hath made us to be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus that loved us. More than conquerors, you know, it's your super conqueror. And that all speaks of victorious, uh, not only in our life, but but also in our thinking. Yeah, and you know, thinking about victory, what are some things that we want victory from? Refer back to last week's episode because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we just spoke about worry, anxiety, fear, fret, all those things that are going to seek to have victory over our minds. You know, and there's a lot of believers today that experience victory that ebb and flows. Uh, and, and I think this is probably, that could be said, most Christians at time have been in the place of life where they experience victory ebbing and flowing in certain aspects. Where they don't experience victory is in every aspect of their life. Sure. You know, and, and sometimes it might be that they had a victory over a sin, uh, and boy, we give thanks to God to that. We could think in reference of um, uh, of victory, and we might say that one day we'll have victory over death. Uh, that's in keeping of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, that's right there in a the context of having victory. Uh, one day, every believer, uh, rather dead or yet to be born, or we ourselves even, will experience the victory over the grave. And we give God thanks for that. Yeah. But when we come to a mind, I think that's an area that many Christians, well, we are not so victorious there. Well, talk about something that takes a lot of work to have victory in. Oh, absolutely. As we spoke last week, it's a lot of or the week before, I should say, it's a lot of a continual labor, knowing what God wants and continuing and persevering in that regard. But if a believer is going to see victory, there really is one thing that they're going to have to put at the top of their to-do list that they'll have to seek with great fervency. What are they going to have to seek fervently? I think it comes down to really one thing, and that's a single heart. A single heart. You know, if if you have the opportunity... Uh, maybe open the scriptures. If not, just you can kind of follow along, visit later. But 
Let's take a moment and spend some time over in the Sermon on the Mount. That is Matthew chapter 5 through really the end of chapter 7. And this is one of the first messages that the Lord would give that is recorded for us here in Scripture in great detail. It's also found uh, in the Synoptic Gospels of Luke as well. But as you look through these some two chapters in which God goes into the mountain when he is set, his disciples come to him. We're very familiar with chapter 5 and the first few verses where the Beatitudes are given. Uh, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of God, etc., when you come down to the end of chapter 7, there's something quite interesting there. It says it came to pass uh, when Jesus had ended the saying, the people were astonished at his doctrine. And this is the important part. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Uh, this is quite an interesting thing. With the scribes, everything was somewhat theoretical. Right. Even in keeping in these particular chapters, I think it's chapter 5, um, there's several times he uses the phrase, ye have heard, or it hath been said. And he wasn't just referring in context just to the Old Testament, but rather the rabbinical teaching on that. And then he would uh, give the reference, but I say unto you. And there's a series of some half a dozen or more things covering everything from the oath to retaliation to love, even to divorce that he would cover in these matters. And he was very authoritative, and, and he should have been authoritative because he is the living word of God. Absolutely. Uh, he is the word of that dwelt, tabernacled among them, full of grace and truth. And there's great authority given. And I think as we look under these passages, particularly talking about the single greatest aid that a believer needs for a victorious mind, it should have great authority as we apply it to our lives. In um, the previous verses, we were looking at 28 and 29 there, but in the previous verses, this is, man, anyone ever spent time in Sunday school knows this, but you have uh, the wise man, the foolish man that built their house upon a on the various rock substance. Yeah, on one sand. upon a rock, yep. one upon a sun, uh, uh, the upon the sand. Yeah. And when the storms came down, yep. the rains came down, rains came down, floods came, floods up. came up, and the, rains the house came on down, the sand the went splat. There you go. I knew that part was there. And so that's where we're often in keeping with this. But I, I want you to listen to this. The scripture talks in... I believe it's verse uh, number 26. He says, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man. And in context with a little Sunday school story, which built his house upon the sand. In the context that he's given, the rains are going to descend and the floods came. Verse 25, the winds blew and they beat upon the house. And in verse 27, regarding the foolish man, great was the fall of his house. Now, in a broad sense, not just his house as a person, but when we apply this to the one that's hearing and doing, your life is the house. Right. And part of that house is the mind and the heart. And here, the whole context that is given upon one that not only heareth, but he heareth and doeth. That was the single thing that differentiated the wise man from the foolish man. Did he do? Yeah. The wise man did, heard and did, and therefore he built his house upon the rock. And when all of the rains and floods and winds came. So the worries, the anxieties, the frets. Absolutely. The cares of this world, the trials. It stood firm. He's not, I think of Ephesians for a moment, blown about by every wind of doctrine, 
Right. He's not cast to and fro by every wave of report that comes. He's not undermined. There's a level of fixality upon him. And it is because he has a singleness in his purpose and what he's doing with his life, who he's doing it for, and really might add to a greater extent, a great singleness or purpose that he has in life. Yeah. You know, there are many today that have a familiarity, we should say, with the word of God, but there are fewer and fewer that could be said that they do them, that they do them. Yeah. James talks about that one that would uh, behold a glass yeah. and then leave forgetting what manner of man he was, that the blessing came to the one that heard and did. And that way we must, as believers, must have a great singleness of heart. Yeah. Um, James chapter one there speaking of that man who does it says this the scriptures say this man shall be blessed in his deed mm-hmm. and that's the doer that's, that's not right. the foolish man so he's built his house upon eternal principles he's built his house upon the promises of god upon the work of the almighty christ you know really having a singleness of purpose is one of the great secrets of spiritual prosperity in our life having that singleness of heart. Notice, if you will, in verse 22, it's something by will of a text. This is chapter six. He says in verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. That's interesting. We're familiar with the eye and its correlation to the body. Uh, We would speak in one sense of those that had deficiency of the ability to view, how we would talk about their inability to do certain things. Oh, there's such a great blessing in having the ability to see physically. Sometimes as we age, we have to wear glasses, um, maybe to help us read, maybe to help us see something far away, maybe to help us during the twilight uh, to drive a vehicle. Uh, The eyes have great ability as they capture objects, process it through light, and allow the mind to have discernment. But in a spiritual sense, it works the exact same way. The eye is the means by which our inner man, that heart and mind, discern things. What we see, if seen from the wrong perspective, will be that which we want. And if we see something from the wrong perspective, It'll be something our heart wants in a wrong sense. Yeah, speaking to that, you just mentioned spiritual prosperity in someone's life. I think it's so often we think about prosperity, or if I hear prosperity, I think of finances. That's whenever we so often use that. But how often do we consider where how prosperous we are spiritually? That's true. I, I think really on a regular basis, a Christian ought to take some, to keep it in mind with your financial round there, there ought to be an opportunity for a Christian to take a spiritual audit yeah. of, of where they're looking. See, our mind, all the way back to the beginning of the episode, our mind is broken, right? Yeah. So naturally, my broken mind is going to process things in a broken way. Yeah. And so even if I'm seeing a circumstance that lies before me, and it might be something as real as my finances or legitimate needs I have in life, my heart, if only lean to the flesh is going to interpret that in the most ungodly of means, you know, a very easy thing in life uh, to ascertain around. Uh, This word singleness is an interesting word. Uh, When I think of single, I might would think of uh, having one item, 
or all by yourself. Yes. You know, alone in yep in the woods. You know. Yep. Or having you know they talk about uh, a singled bicycle wheel having one as opposed to I guess that would be a single wheel would be a unicycle, but right. having one in existence. But this singleness means something a little bit different. It has the idea of something properly folded together. Uh, in fact, this word really is akin to like like a militiaman, a, a citizen soldier. Back during the time of the Hellenized world, the Greeks, uh, they had some phenomenal fighting forces. And at the very core was the hoplite. Uh, the hoplite was a citizen soldier from one of the city-states and you know, he would have a spear and a shield and his helmet and all of this equipment. He would go, but then he was a part of a greater whole. Yeah. Of course, the Greeks were phenomenal in their abilities and the military tactics, and they would take so many of these hoplites and meld them into a phalanx. And through that single tactical unit uh, and the series that would accompany it, they were able to accomplish, uh, 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 conquer the known world in I was just, more than 12 years. I was just going to ask you if you knew how many were in one of those. The number 256 comes to mind. So I don't thinking, remember. So say it is 256. We get singleness from thinking about you have 256 men with 256 different priorities, 256 ideas, and they have to bring all their mind to one single unity and focus if they're going to get anything accomplished. That's right. Uh, they're going to have to go in the same direction, left, right, center, straight, hold. Uh, what made them phenomenal is that when an a, attacking force would come, uh, they had the ability to drop shields and in such a way to almost render their unit unable to be breached. Uh, they would create crevices where they could see and move, but the whole group moved as a unit. And that is an amazing feat to be considered. Uh, you know, when we think about the eye being the light to the soul, it's a consideration also that sometimes our light will behold so many different things. Our eyes where they're holding so many different things in life and the inability of our mind to bring it to that part, that single focus in life yeah. and to have the singleness that existed being properly folded together. And there are three things in this particular passage here in Matthew chapter 6 of where a believer, if they're going to have a victorious mind, must have singleness in. Hmm. The first of them is found in our passage here in verse number in verse number uh, 24. It says, no man can serve two masters, for either they'll hate the one, love the other, or else he will hate the one. Uh, he will uh, hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Man. mammon. I would think that with singleness of mind, we need singleness in our sovereign. We need to have the correct and true God as our singular focus of worship. Yeah. No man can serve two masters. So basically we're saying we can't be dedicated. Well, he says mammon. What what about mammon? We're talking about that's wealth, gain, possessions. Yeah, it. I guess there in ancient Grecian uh, times it was the deification almost made a god of it. Okay, you could almost describe I think any lust of life as being particulate to mammon. It's not just one thing, uh, but it is a desire in a broad sense, and we often attribute it to wealth or money. But the pursuits of life could be seen as a general rule as mammon. Yeah, and the fact is that everyone has has one. Everyone has 
something that they're going to live and die for. It's either going to be the Lord or it's going to be their yeah, own. Yeah, I mean, and, and the world system, even from the natural man, understands the importance of singleness and focus in your priority or purpose. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're here in the fall time of year, and you, you look at whether it be student athletes in one sense or or whether you're going to look at some professional other athlete. Uh, when you consider them, they didn't get there by accident. They, yeah. you know, they I know, tried to be I, the best. I know that. there's a story behind it that one of them one day grabbed a ball and wow, look what they could do with it. But as a general rule, most of these individuals spent decades and decades uh, striving in every area of their life, putting up with grand hardships, sometimes some sacrifices to be able to get the level that they're at so that physically and mentally they could be engaged in this type of sporting activity. Not too many decades, though, because you can only be an athlete up to like, I mean. That's why I said decade and decade. Oh. <laughs> 20 years. You 50 know. decades. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, Paul speaks of the same thing about, in First Corinthians chapter 9, about striving for the mastery. Even in keeping of that Olympic-type athletes a runner, they've put all of this time in running and practicing and and striving for something. If there's a great call in the Christian life, it is to have a singleness in mind to who your God is. Uh, I think of Exodus chapter 20, the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse number four, thou shalt make no graven images. Uh, He even goes as far in those passages in Exodus chapter 20, I'm going to turn over there a minute. He, he mentions about what he has done for the children of Israel, how he has brought them out, how he has preserved them, how he has cared for them. Uh, particularly, he, he mentions that they are not to bow down themselves. Uh, they are not to serve graven images. He said, I am the Lord thy God. I'm a jealous God. I show mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep thy commandments. The next verse he talks about, thou shalt take... Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. All of these things were in part because man has a proclivity to worship. Yeah. And the great problem with man is his mind being broken. Instead, the natural man will, instead of worshiping God, will make a God like himself to worship. Find something else. Yes. Or make something else. And that might be his wishes. It might be his dreams. It might be his desires, his ambitions. But it's no coincidence that man will seek um, to worship something that is subject to a similar nature as his or something that is resemblant to himself. Well, that's what we're created to do. I think if Revelation speaks about the reason that we and all the earth was created is to bring glory to him. Yeah. In Romans chapter 1, he said, speaking of that glory, that they, uh, Romans chapter 1, they had changed the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beast and to creeping things. Mm. That's what the natural man does. He beholds in all the splendor of the created existence of this world that God has made, he knows that there is a creator. The heavens declare the glory of God. And yet holding this truth in unrighteousness He allows his mind that is broken, that knows not the thoughts of God, and he changes it, and all of a sudden he's changed into something that he desires, into some desire or love or lust or whatever might be that he gains. He does not have a singleness in his sovereign. I should rather correct that and say he does not have the right singleness in his sovereigns. 
no wonder that many that, when you think to Romans chapter 1, he talks about changing the glory uh, of an incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. There is a plurality that is given. Man will not have one God that he worships. Man will have many gods. No wonder in Ephesians 5, or rather 1 John 5 and verse 21, John uh, warned the saints. He said, my little children, keep yourselves from idols, Idols, plural. Yeah. The reality, when we do not have singleness of mind in our sovereignty, when we do not worship the God that has saved us and make him exalted and exclusive in our life, we'll worship everything. Uh, not just... Uh, the commonality one with another, but we'll worship anything that our heart sets fix on. And that's true in this Western world we live in. Yeah, uh, That may be things that in of themselves are, uh, have some air of noble, uh, nobility. It might be something that we enjoy that isn't necessarily wrong in and of itself. But yet, because we have not made God exclusive, we'll pursue all of those things and make them a God to be worshiped yeah. and to be held. Well, sometimes we just throw God in with the mix of every other thing that we desire. Yes. You know, so you say, well, I still worship the Lord and all that, but he's just tossed in with everything else. And then what do we lack? We lack singleness. Yeah. I think that's why he said in Ephesians, I'm a jealous God. Yeah. To worship him means to worship him exclusively. If we're going to have victory in our mind and heart, as a believer, we must surrender to the master. Um, And the inward man of a believer Uh, Ephesians 4 talks about the new man which is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. That's how we worship God with singleness. He is worthy to be praised both now and forever. Amen. Amen. A great battlefield in the believer, a great battle I should say in the believer's life is won or lost in the arena of submission, rather that be to the submission of God or to submission of other things. That will be the determination of whether or not he'll win the battle in the singleness of the Savior. Yeah, and we're going to look here now at not only just the singleness of who's sovereign in your life, but the singleness in what you're seeking. Mm. And um, if God is your sovereign, then there must be a singleness in seeking. And so we're going to... What are are you seeking? Yeah. You know, if, if God is God... Yeah i.e. he is the creator of all the world. He created you. The psalmist said in the 139th Psalm, he formed me. He knew me when my substance was yet unknown, that he knoweth the words that are yet in my tongue. He knoweth them all together. If this God is God, and if I am to worship this God, it really changes the dynamic of what I seek in this life. There's a couple of common There's a common phrase several times, not only in chapter 5 where you've heard it said, but I say unto you, but when you get to chapter 6, there's this phrase that's mentioned, I don't know, three or four times, but he says in verse 25, therefore I say unto you, take no thought, particularly for your life, which you shall eat, which you shall drink, nor yet for your body, which you shall put on, is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment. The next verse speaks of the fowls of the air, the illustration he's making. And, and then he, he comes down to verse number uh, 27. And we're in Matthew chapter yep, 6. We're in Matthew chapter, 20, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 27, 28. He says, take no thought again for raiment. Oh, I like this one. Verse 27, which of you can add, st- 
add one cubit unto his stature. Just yeah, yeah, you're t- taking thought of that. Yes, in verse thirty-one he says, "Take no thought again." You find it again in verse thirty-four. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. That's interesting to me. In this life that we lead, those that would follow many gods, those that would follow the gods of their own heart and imagination, there's something that you have to perceive in life. There's something that you have to give great thought for. Not just thought on a matter of consideration, but thought as a matter of planning so that you might have. Planning to make something else your God. And how different the gods of old time and the gods of today are from the God that is revealed in scriptures. Yeah, uh, The psalmist talks about those gods in ancient days that having eyes could not see. Yeah, my, my favorite part, I think it's in Isaiah. He talks about the man who keeps himself warm with one piece of wood and at the same time he's carving himself an idol in the other piece of wood. Yeah, and yet he's made this his singular focus. Really, I don't know that you call it singular, Yeah, but he's at least failed in making God the singular person of his focus and rather is focusing on whatever his heart's desire is. He's given thought. I think about the pagan gods that we do know uh, that were contemporary to scriptures, you know, like Dagon of the Philistines, that part fish god. Why was he a fish god? Well, the Philistines had put so much stock into the need of being able to conquer part of the uh, the, the trans-Mediterranean area so that they could live and have abundance. Uh, I'll tell you another one is you think of Pharaoh. Yeah, Egypt had a ton. All those gods that were there in Pharaoh, and yet systematically God through the plagues repudiated each and every one of them. Yeah. Where do they all come from? Man's heart. Man's heart was not single. His brokenness. And they were a manifestation of what man was seeking. Prosperity, possession, prestige, affection, fruitfulness. Yeah. Yes. But God to these that are listening to Sermon M out and Jesus Christ reminds them, take no thought, take no thought. My, you must have a great God if you could live that way. Yeah. You must have a great God that can provide exceedingly abundantly above all that you ever ask or think that he will hear us if we ask anything according to his will that I can cast all my care upon him, knowing that he careth from us, that I can come boldly into the throne of grace. These are marvelous considerations. Only if your God is the supreme God, only if that sovereign is the one by which you seek with great singleness of mind and therefore seek with great singleness of focus as well. Yeah, I think about Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, be careful for nothing. Yeah, and everything, by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. It sounds very similar, doesn't it? Take no thought. Worry, anxiety, discouragement, like we spoke of just the other week, should not be the identity of a believer. Well, verse 7 there in in Philippians 4 says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So a singleness toward the sovereign, a singleness in seeking. And then a third area of singleness that must be so readily important in the life of a believer is found in verse 33 of Matthew 6. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Service. Yes, and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Unto you. There's a singleness of service. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Uh, service to God is to be done with great singleness of mind and heart. The, the life that we live 
is not long enough for us to accomplish the will of God and our own will, let alone we consider all of the impressions of society and all the solicitations of this evil world to do evil. No, singleness must be given in our service to him. Yeah. I think of Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. And it goes on there, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Isn't that an amazing phrase, doing the will of God from the heart? Yeah. You had the want to. If you could do anything in life, what would you like to do? I'd like to serve God. That's a great test. Yeah. You know, he is speaking here to servants. People, some that were maybe bond servants to one extent or maybe slave to another. Yeah, I'd imagine you don't necessarily wake up every day. and Nobody's life ambition is to do that. Yeah. And the Lord's saying them, you're doing your service as unto the Lord and doing it, therefore, as servants of Christ from the heart. Yeah. You know, Psalm 100 speaks to this a little bit as well. Serve the Lord with gladness. Well, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. And there's only two more verses here. Might as well just read yeah, it all for us. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. But right there we have it, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. You know, as we spoke about before, troubles are going to come to life. Uh, Job speaks of this just as a spark flying upwards. The days born of a, uh, of a man, born of a woman, are short and full of trouble. Yeah. Troubles are going to come. All for the child of God to have such a singular worship on the sovereign to seek him with great singleness, and then to determine in their heart to serve him with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Not just a facade of happiness, but a deep-seated joy that abides with peace and an earnest expectation of hope for him. You know, our love for God is reflected in our attitude, especially in the area of service. Surely in the gospel, Matthew chapter 22, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Mark uh, has love him with thy heart, with all thy soul, with thy mind, and then just strength too. Every ability that I have, every passion, every consideration, every area of discernment, my, the great love of God is seen, shed abroad in our hearts. What an opportunity it is to serve this grand God. I wondered to the disciples. He said in Luke, come unto me, all ye that are weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. 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 That's what our soul seeks. And if our soul would have rest and peace, it must know and do the word of truth. And with divine aid and steady discipline, great victory will come to our heart and mind. Yeah. Let me close this out with Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. The scriptures say, Finally, brethren, when we consider thinking, we consider this verse. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, 
if they there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And considering the singleness of our thoughts there. We want to thank you for joining us this week. And we look forward to catching you next week in the next episode. Mm-hmm.